everybody. Welcome to Camel City Chat. And I'm here with the man, the Camel City Dispatch, uh, Chad Nance. And we're going to hear about that and where that went and all the different projects he's worked on. Um, I have a, a, a surprise for him. This is kind of scary that uh, I haven't told you about when we were doing our little pre-interview that um, you're going to laugh at me about, I think, more than anything else. But, you know, know, welcome to the show, Chad. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I really and thanks for doing this. This is really nice. You know, it's a we're we're on we're in the evening. Um, I think all our kids are in bed right now or close to it. Yeah, I wish mine were. I, I, mine, mine are on the COVID schedule. I, we also have we have uh, we have uh, five kids left in the house. We have seven total, and um, five. Our youngest is a middle schooler, right? So they all get up about two o'clock in the afternoon, especially now that it's summer vacation. Right. So and, my, uh, my daughter's yeah, our house just gets to swing at about three o'clock. It's, yeah. it's getting cranked up. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just gave my daughter the bath and was like, I'm going out to do the show. Bye. So I'll, I'll get in trouble when I get back in for not doing something right. But, uh, so, so I got to ask you the first three. All right. So, cause I, I, I want to know more about who you are. I've known who you are, but I'm excited to get to know you more cause I've seen you in different things here or there. Uh, I know your passion towards what's going on and how you're really working hard right now to, to document uh, the, the fight to end racism. I also know that you are a, just a fan of true crime and, and, and have been involved in a, a great documentary that we'll talk about and, and some other things that are going on. So we're gonna, we've got clips. We've never had clips before, Chad. This is big time. You we know? have clips now, yeah. <laughs> we got clips, all these things. And so we're, we're gonna break away occasionally them. And you can tell me, you say, hey, John, why don't we show that clip? And then um, we'll go from there. But um, I just basically wanted to get to know you. So the first three questions we always ask every one of our guests is, where are you from? And how long have you been in Winston? Where I'm from actually is Winston. And um, I wasn't born here. I was born in Newport News, Virginia. Okay. And my folks adopted me. I was, a, I, was a, I was a ward of the Commonwealth of Virginia when I was first born. I was, I was abandoned at a hospital. Okay. But my folks adopted me and brought me here when I was, when I was just about a year old. Okay. So, and then we spent the first part of our, my life in Winston. And then the real estate, my father built houses. And the up and rural hall, they were building it. There's the neighborhood now that he was building has been exposed by this new construction on 52, if you go on 52. Okay. And okay. my dad would build a house and we would move into it. And then he would sell that house and we would move into the next house they built and move all the way down the street okay. on this road in rural hall called Crooked Run Road. Okay. So uh, we lived there and then we moved back to Tidewater, Virginia, because the real estate market here in the mid-70s cratered in ways that make what happened in the 2000s look like you know, it really wasn't as big a hit. And uh, my family almost lost everything, but we ended up in uh, Tidewater, Virginia, and my father uh, there had a large commercial construction company that did work for Newport News Shipbuilding and all the branches of the armed services, including NASA. Wow. Before Space Force. And uh, then, actually, during high school, I lived in Stokes County because my parents, my dad had hit his 40s and, was get, and needed a break, so he took about four years off from his business. And we moved to Stokes County and lived on a, a tobacco farm in Stokes County, a 200 acre tobacco farm. We had 50 head of cattle and 10 and a half acres tobacco and all kinds of other things and critters. And um, we lived there for four years until the day I graduated from high school and we moved back to Virginia. My dad went to business. We literally left. I left North Stokes, the football field in North Stokes for high school graduation and was in Newport News shipbuilding, getting my badge and safety meeting the next Monday morning, you know, getting ready to go. Wow. That's crazy. And I made my way back to Winston um, in 94 when I came back to go to University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And that's when they had uh, just started their film school. Uh, 93 was the first year and I was the second year. Lucky enough to get in. You're a fighting pickle. I am a fighting pickle. I'm actually one of the reasons they got the fighting tacked on. See? Okay. We were just the pickles, right? And they used to when when the when, see you gotta understand when the film students showed up it was a little bit like the hell's angels showing right. up you know they didn't quite know what to do with this uh there had been a lot of awesome stuff done by students who were there uh before us acting students uh dmp students music students who wanted a film school there and there had even been some little demonstrations and actions within the student body wanting to make sure the film school got there 
Right. But when we got there, it really was like these guys from another planet showed up. And it mostly was guys, because back then, unfortunately, the people who were encouraged to go to media and film schools were white males. So we had very few women and very few people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully, that's changed. And that's changing in the business and, and more people of color and, and a lot more women getting opportunities they weren't given before. Right. Uh, when we came in, but, um, during that time I was, we were able to, what we used to do at, at school of the arts, you know, you can't have sports because you know, you can't get hurt. A dancer can't be on a basketball team and, and you don't have time. A lot of folks in town here don't understand how much time it takes to go to school of the arts. You spend at least 80 hours a week doing school work and classwork. The, no question. And rehearsals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't really have a sports program. So what they do for the homecoming game they used to have a uh, intramural football team from Wake Forest would come out and play football and they'd pick up and have a flag football team. Well, these guys, you know, as, as you one would expect from frat boys from Wake Forest were kind of bullies. And so they had been coming out for years and roughing school of the arts people up and giving them a hard time, you know, doing their, doing their Wake Forest thing. And uh, they showed up and all of a sudden they're film students there. And the unique thing about film students is, yeah, some of them were ex-jocked. You had guys who, we had one guy who had been a tailback for East Carolina. I'd played rugby in college. We had two more guys that played college football. And so we, we actually practiced. Um, my father did everybody a great thing, and he bought everybody black T-shirts that said UNCSA in red letters, like the Mean Machine from Longest Yard. Yeah. All of our cheerleaders were uh, – uh, cross-dressers and transvestites. It was awesome, right? So we have all these dancers. And these Wake Forest guys show up, and all of a sudden, it's a different ball game this year. Things, <laughs> things have changed. And we had when we actually practiced, so we had plays. So we started beating them pretty badly right off. And it, things got a little – we got a little rough, and we got a little mouthy because we were able to just kind of manhandle these guys. And it turned into a massive brawl. Um, I, I was walking back off of the field to the sidelines and I can remember my friend, Derek Paisley, who's the guy that plays for ECU going, don't do it. And this guy came up, Wake Forest guy, they finally couldn't take it anymore. And he just came up behind me and pushed me as hard as he could. So I turned around like a kid and swung at him. And then I was just covered up by Wake Forest guys in a big pile. And I swear to God, there is a Wake Forest guy to this day who has nightmares about the fact that this guy I knew who was a dancer, who was also a crossdresser dressed as a cheerleader, pulled him off of me and was, you got to remember these dancers at NCSA are athletes. You know, they're ripped like Arnold. These are, you know, these are not people you want to mess with. And this guy just grabbed him. This guy's sitting here, Afro puffs and all skirt on full cheerleader uniform, grabs the guy, pulls him off of me, throws him on the ground to the side. And then kind of helps me up and helps me to the side. Right. Yeah. There's guys that will never get over this. And I think Wake Forest has, because I heard they finally are allowing uh, UNCSA to do activities with them. But that was there, there in because of that brawl, which ended up being a brawl that involved in half the film school, everybody that was out there. I mean, people were just pouring on the field. And by the time they got the whole thing broke up, uh, they wouldn't do anything else with UNCSA for a while. And we were the fighting pickles. We were no longer just, just, just pickles. You know? I, I believe that we can enter in the interview now. I mean, you have told us, I mean, this is better than Wikipedia, Chad. Oh, okay. Right on. Well, you know, you need to know things about your dad. Like, hey, did you know about a fact you didn't know you know i wrote the i wrote a book about winston salem because the shape i'm in so and, and there's a lot of i mean you've written several books haven't you two two i've written uh well, they're both collections of work i've done although the shape i'm in is more of a, a strictly a narrative about coming back to winston salem in 2012 and starting the camel city dispatch but it also goes all the way back to the you know beginnings of winston salem during during the reconstruction of the civil war right. and you know although and really how our town started out with inequities that we've never, never really addressed or fit. We're just starting to address them this last couple of weeks. It's, it's nice. Wow. We're at least having conversations about them now. I'm the open. Wow. Okay. Well, let's get, so that. I can, you know, and one other factor, the, the fun pickle fact though, cause we'll be bringing her name up again because it keeps coming up is do you, did you know Earlene Parman by any chance? Yeah. I've heard the name. Yes, yeah, Senator Parman. She was a African-American politician from here who was, I mean, greatly influenced all politicians from Winston-Salem. Anybody that's out there was influenced by Earlene. And she was the original Miss Pickle. She, she was. <laughs> she was actually Miss Pickle. She ran the, and believe it or not, it was when she ran the, uh, she didn't uh, go to school at UNCSA. She was actually running the cafeteria at the time 
and it got voted Miss Pickle. Yeah. Yep. Heard of her? So anyway, I'm just a font. Uh, me, uh, you can, the only person you can, you can probably find two guys is Fam Brownlee. And, uh, and, a, and a guy named Damien who teaches at School Yards know more about Winston-Salem than I do. But I've been, I go down to the North Carolina room occasionally and bug fan for stories. I'm, when he passes, I guess it's, it's in my head now. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, he, the, the man. Uh, uh, everyone talks about the, the North Carolina room, and, and he's very, very receptive um, to, to talking about it. Oh, yeah, we filmed part of The uh, Devil You Know was filmed in the North Carolina room with fam. We yeah. got to get to that. We got to get to that. That's where your surprise is. You're going to laugh at me. All right. Oh, right so on. Our second question. Where's your favorite place to eat in Winston? All right. Now, this is going to get me. You're going to get me in trouble, man, because a lot of my friends own restaurants. And well, you wanna, how about this? Where's the last place you and Carissa ate? No, but I can tell you where my favorite place is because I'll just be honest. And they, most of them know. When I go out to eat in Winston, eight out of ten times, it's going to be at Lighthouse Cafe. Of course. I mean, great. Eight, ten times. My grandfather used to take me to the Lighthouse Cafe. I, I, I love to I love to go eat at the Lighthouse Cafe. It is it is it is it is, it is my favorite restaurant in Winston. Yes. Yeah. I enjoy I enjoy Lighthouse and I always like to try and go say, say hey to Spencer next door. Absolutely, yeah. Get some booze. Yeah, that's right. And my, my office used to be right. I was lucky for a while. Our Camel City Dispatch, when we had our office, was on Burke Street, there in the Burke House. Right. And right under uh, Ruben Rink uh, Advertising. Okay. And so it was right next door to there. But I've been going to the Lighthouse for years, and I just love that place. And if people knew a lot about, like, how many folks they've helped at yeah. the Lighthouse, and by I mean by giving them jobs, people with addiction issues, homeless people i mean people like you wouldn't have mary's of course breakfast of course right. if it wasn't for a lighthouse really because they helped mary out and put mary to work when she needed it mm -hmm. and when she was hurting so lighthouse is an important restaurant it may not have all the stars and it and no you know no top chef or anything but i do love to eat at a lighthouse well I, I enjoy going in there and and nine out of ten times you're going to see two or three other people you know absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, I've enjoyed, I'll meet someone there in the morning and be two or three judges in there or whatever. I mean, it's crazy. So it's a great place. Um, all right. So the third one's what's your favorite thing to do in Winston? My favorite thing to do in Winston is go see live music. Yeah. Which is killing me now with COVID, you know, cause we can't and, and it's not safe. I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm not one of those that thinks we should get out there and do it right away. But yeah, man, it kills me. So, we have great. We have some great venues. We have a. We have. We have even more than everybody. You know, you always hear that. I wish Winston Salem had a music scene. You know, man. Man, we have a music community. Forget a music scene. You know, music scenes come and go. Chapel Hill in the '90s, uh, early '90s, late '80s, Athens, Georgia. Those things come and go, right? Austin, those things come and go. But a real community of working musicians is something you you can't trade for anything. And from break time billiards to Rizzo's to the Ram Cat. I mean, we have the venues around here, you know, Bulls Tavern. You know, you can all usually in a non-pandemic situation, Winston-Salem has kind of worked its way into we really, we can really throw a good party. We know how to really entertain you. We have great restaurants, great bars and, you know, and breweries and really good live music every weekend, you know. You know, it's interesting. I, um, uh, I got an email from a, uh... Uh, Zeb Williams about uh, I guess they're having a, an Easter egg hunt and one of your friends is going to be playing out there uh, jukebox rehab oh yeah okay well you got a clip from that recently we did a video for those guys so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I got to check and see kind of where we are in the old thing here so we know sure. okay, so well that video we did it was special because we did that one dirt with social distancing and actually the close-ups and things you see in it I had a jib crane that kept me 10 feet away from everybody um, to be able to put the camera in their face. But we shot that at Bulls Tavern and it has a, you know, kind of a pandemic message for everybody. We shot this, of course, before the death of George Floyd and these other things kind of stepped up on the stage. And this is when the only thing we seem to be dealing with at that point was a pandemic. All right, so why don't we watch this? It's called Empty... Empty Bar. Empty Bar. Yeah, that's, a, that's a shout out to our and local businesses and bar owners. So Dale Cole um, is raising well, money for Dale Cole and also uh, Virtual Village? Yeah, Dale Colton, the Virtual Village was a little project that we started up to help raise money for local restaurants mm -hmm. and specific local restaurants by the week and, lo and local bars. Mm -hmm. And Bulls was part of that. And Danielle Bull was a big part of putting that together. 
And this prod, this ended up going on a compilation album, which you can get at Dale Cole, the virtual village on Facebook. This song went on that and has been played in radios all over the Southeast since. So Dale Cole, virtual, virtual village. I'll put that in the show liner notes, but let's go ahead and run this. Uh, let's run this now. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's watch. Uh, It ain't just a time rest, not everyone can cash a check. Corner store for cigarettes, booze to wash it down. And he ain't just a left wing fool, they make him on the right side too. Politics and nightly news don't make the world go round. It's the people on the So that was that was a nice uh, a nice video and and um, you, you did a good job on that. Uh, Connection is uh, actually Jerry Banner's um, son is one of the members of Jukebox Rehab. Oh, right on, right on, man! That's a great young band. They're a great band. And they're really great live, you know, and good guys, and really really fun to work with. So they gave a lot during that because that was a, that was a tough shoot. We did that fairly quickly for for you know the production value that it has, and we had to do it because the light inside a bull. See, you want to use as much natural light you can to get the light to come through the the back window, the front window of bulls. We could only we had like an hour and a half window to 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 film a day. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> you know, definitely. Different. I like to use a lot of natural light, and Chris and I try to do that to you know to 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 add beauty to what we do rather than, than use a lot of artificial stuff. All right. Well, you said Carissa. So let's yes. talk about this is love of your life, your partner and uh, uh, the other, the other half and of these things. And other things. Yeah. So um, she, you, you guys work together a lot on, on, on basically everything, right? On everything. Yeah. We, we did the Camel City Dispatch and actually before that we'd actually, she helped edit the two nonfiction books that I've done. Um, she also, before that, we had another website that was a political website, did more national politics called Weird Load. It was pivoting off of, I was a political editor for a national magazine, international magazine back then. Okay. And um, she and I actually met when, I, when she was 17 and I was 20. We met at my sister's sweet 16 party. <laughs> And um, when, when we were kids, and we met in Virginia, and through just, weird, it's weird, too, how our lives went, because there were several times, including one time in Winston, when I had moved back to Winston-Salem, she lived in Winston-Salem, we both lived in Ardmore, and walked our kids and did everything, but never ran into one another. It's like we were, I mean, we were like literally a few blocks away. We also lived in Richmond, Virginia, but didn't run into one another, you know, that kind of thing. And then finally uh, reconnected, and it's been about 10 years now we've been together. And we've been back living together since uh, 2013 here in Winston. We've kind of merged our families. It's, it's, a, it's a real Brady Bunch operation. But since she and I have operated the Camel Seat Dispatch, and we did that for several years until just the reality of Google and Facebook owns all the advertising online. There's just no way that you can't support yourself and feed seven kids doing that. So we had to, we had to find other things to do for a while. So I was going to ask about Camel City Dispatch because you, you ran it for several years. Obviously, 17 is supposed to shut it down, but then you've recently put some stuff up. Uh, we've done a couple the only thing we put up recently sir was that actually that was a special post we keep camel seed dispatch there so there's an archive because right. there's an archive of articles and that is like a picture in time of a moment in winston-salem's time and because we were still remember winston-salem still is in development then we're, we're not what we are today uh you know uh certain businesses and things that we take advantage of the, the Benton hadn't been remodeled yet. You know, we didn't have these hotels then. There's a lot that has changed since then. So we left it up as an archive, but a few uh, months ago we did when the, it became apparent exactly how much um, <laughs> deception was going to be used in this political you know, season right. it, and with fake 
uh, websites that purported to be local news here in Winston-Salem and other places. Like and we basically came back to active just for a moment to kind of out those, yeah. those websites and those people. Great articles. Uh, you did it in February. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. So, um, <clears throat> right, right now. Um, and I want to get to that, but I also want to talk about some of the things you've done in the past. So let's get, let's do a little bit of this true crime stuff and, and, uh, the devil, you know, uh, yeah, the show on Vice. Yeah. Yep. The true crime piece, we started, we did, of course, the first, I used to write for a magazine under the name of Samuel Brickhouse and do true crime pieces. Right. And I would do one a month and, you know, get, get my check. And it was, it was fun. But we, when we, the first street crime and really being able to investigate things I did was we can't we'll see dispatch. And that was daily coverage of crime and everything else. And Chris and I did a story uh, about this murder that happened at Ardmore, the Magnolia murders, which got us a tremendous amount of attention and coverage. Our, our thing had been political before, you know, was a well-known political col columnist. We'd be shared elsewhere and all over the place. We, our Camel City Dispatch had easily over 100,000 hits a month and, you know, several million readers when you looked at it, you know, in the aggregate of how many people and where, how far people read. Because there's a big diaspora here from Wake Forest and UNCSA that was clearly reading. Right. So we had big, big numbers in Atlanta, Georgia, which was odd. And um, in doing that, then covering the daily crime, we got this police report one night and this is literally, she and I are getting ready to go to bed and our office was right off of our bedroom. That's how you had to run Camel Sea Dispatch, doing a daily news outlet with just, you know, the two of us and then a few other people that right. you, your bedroom, my, our bed was literally 10 feet from the, the desk and the computer were closed. In. And so the, our, I went in there to check the police reports one more time for the end of the night. And I was like, honey, go put on coffee. And it was just a picture of this Pazuzu kid, right? <laughs> just get coffee, man, put it on. We're going to be up. So what, then we would go into our mode. I would get the desktop, the laptop, and she would get on the desktop and start doing research. And we really dug into the, to the kid. We got some tips really fast about him. Um, number one, his name was not Pazuzu Augurized John Lawson. And, you know, he was just some jerk off that had gone to wait, you know, West Forsyth. And we started getting some info about him and putting things together. We did a couple of deep dive pieces, one called The Boogeyman Cometh, which you can still find online if you want to read that. And that was the first deep dive into that story, into that person. And then we did another, I interviewed Stacy Carter, who was the widow of Josh Weschler, which was one of the victims of Pazuzu Alvarado and his, and his girls. So I interviewed her and I did a piece about Josh. And for us, that was it, right? At that point, having sat there with, you know, one of the victims, families and seen the pain and everything they've gone through we were just kind of done with the whole story i don't want to give you know didn't want to give pazuzu any more ink and, and kind of just said what you can about it um then a uh documentary filmmaker from new york contacted us about three four months after the incident and she wanted her name is trish gillespie is a lovely person she wanted to come down here and do it you know see if she could poke around and possibly do a documentary about the Pazuzu incident or about how towns deal with violence, right? Which never, the towns deal with violence thesis never emerged. And um, she came down and she interviewed myself and then she interviewed a few of the other people who have been involved around the case. Um, she was able to eventually through several steps, sell that to the vice network who wanted to, who sent cameras back down there and kind of wanted more of in, in worked then with us and contact us. And we worked with them telling the story, right? You know? And so I basically work as a storyteller or the narrator in that, in that show. And I was a story. Great job. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I've, I've watched almost all of it. I, uh, it's one of those things I have to watch at night. Um, and so sometimes I've fallen asleep, but I, I had, Ooh, yeah, you're going to want to, uh, you need to watch like an episode of community or like Seinfeld or something after you watch that. And no, 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 that's, you're bed, man. I don't want to be responsible for putting stuff in your head. Yeah. All right. So my buddy lives on Knob Hill. Oh, I'm <laughs> one of my best friends lives there. So if you come down from the Catholic, um, uh, housing for the priests and you come down the hill. Yeah. After you go past Pazuzu's and go down the hill, and then he's on the left-hand side, right? So since that's happened, I have never come by the lot. I will drive in. If I'm at the State Employees Credit Union and have to go see Todd, I will go around all the way towards West Forsyth and come down that way. And he's like, well, why don't you run me up the hill? I will. And I go all the way back around that way. I'm not going by <laughs> the lot because that was the devil. 
Yeah, I mean, it's weird, man. He, um, it was funny. One, one of the funnier stories that I can, we didn't, this is what didn't make the show, but there was this young man who uh, moved into uh, Louisville or uh, Clemens um, from New Jersey. And he moved there. This wasn't that long ago. This was just like six years, seven years ago. And he moved there and he went to West Forsyth. And apparently uh, John Lawson, the Pazuzu kid, had become like an urban legend around there. And people did mess with him. I mean, he wasn't this, you know, all fearsome, all thing. The kids kind of thought he was a joke. Right. And so they were going to throw stink bombs in the, in the, in the old Pazuzu's house one afternoon. And they knew because they would see when he left. He, he used to tell people he was agoraphobic and all this nonsense. He wasn't. Right. He, went to, he went downtown Weston all the time. They were at the library. They were, you know, records to shops. They went places all the time. And so when they, they see Pazuzu leave, and he's, he's with two guys from Clemens. And so they drive in, and they drive right up in front of the house, and they're all laughing. And yeah, kids are when you're doing something that's right. a little bit scary, you know, and something you definitely shouldn't do. And they get the smoke bombs, and he said they run up to the house, and then they, they kick the door open. When they bust the door, he said the smell – the, the, the Pazuzu ass smell that, that, that his house was famous for came wafting out of the house at them. And they all, they all started calling and stuff. He said, no, no, don't throw the stink bombs. If we want to really play a joke, let's go home and get Febreze. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, he, I talked to a police officer who had had John Lawson in their car and had to spray the car out and leave it out behind their house, their own house with the doors open for two days just to get smelled. So my understanding is his, his mom worked with like my brother at one point. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He worked at a car dealership in town. Okay. Is that what she did? Cause we never, we did, we never looked. I did find her. We've I've talked to her. I, we, I'll tell you after the interview, I'll tell you where she worked. Okay. My man, Tim Wooten, who is a local private detective and he ran for sheriff here this last right. primary. Um, he lost to Bobby Kimbrough in right. the primary, but um, yeah, Wooten helped me find, we, we did a stakeout and we found her cause she had moved. You know, and, right, and yeah, no, this was when this was all going on. She was working with my, she, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, the other thing that, that is hilarious is, is um, I was in a friend of mine's wedding. And then when I got married, his son was in my wedding. And when all this went down, they were over at our house having dinner. And he is in the, he's in the, um, uh, the documentary with you. And um, I actually was, uh, he put me down as a reference and I got interviewed when he got his job and that would be uh, former SBI officer, Danny Mays. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Danny's a buddy of mine. And oh. so uh, it's like, oh yeah, you gotta watch this man, I'm it, you know. And Danny's got on, you know, he's got his mustache and he's got on the 70s porn, uh, uh, you know, uh, mirrored sunglasses. So he looks all important and stuff, but I'm just, <laughs> and of course I'm giving him grief, but. Um, so, <laughs> I followed a little bit of that, you know, afterwards, after it was all over with, you know, you know, just being able to say, Hey, you know, and then seeing him in the video was kind of interesting as well, too. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot of uh, law enforcement that aren't happy. They were in that video. We've, we've, I've, I've had some pushback, but you know, the funny thing is I had one officer online and he's actually moved to Stokes County who actually said some disparaging things and basically threatened me. But to their credit, other law enforcement officers in this town who were on this same online thread who are current and former Forsyth County sheriffs mm -hmm. uh, jumped on his case and put a stop to it and said, you know that we did a bad, you know, this was bad police work. You know that y'all missed something, you know, you can't, you can't defend bad police work, you know, which, which is where we find ourselves now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is quite quite interesting. Um, I do I do want to as we go into some of this stuff. Um, uh, let's see, because I want to finish today. I want to finish up with probably the the sacrifice zone because I think that's probably what you want to talk the most about. Absolutely, yeah. And we have a piece coming out Friday for Juneteenth, too. and that's what I want to talk about now. Absolutely. And that uh, is that. Uh, ticking or Dear Winston? That's ticking. That's ticking. Yes, sir. Dear Winston came out a few weeks ago. That was that piece is is a collaboration with Judy Holden Pack, who's a local poet, and Owens Daniels, who a lot of you should really interview Owens. He's so, a fascinating right, guy. I'm 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 going to. Uh, yeah. it's, really, it's interesting. When I was talking uh, recently, I said that I was going to have you on. Someone's like, "Well, have you got have you talked to Owens Daniels?" And I'm like, "No." Yeah. And like, Owens is a to Owens Daniels. So I'm excited. Maybe maybe you can give me a, an intro there so that I absolutely can... he's a fascinating guy and then uh, the music was written that music is original music again that entire project was done here at Winston Salem uh, the images are Owens's I edited it and came up with the concept 
Judy's word. She's a local poet. And Doug Davis uh, from the Vagabond Saints and Magnolia Green and about 100,000 other local bands. He's like the James Brown of Winston-Salem. He's the hardest right. working man in show business. Mm -hmm. And uh, But Doug Davis wrote the music. And Dear Winston's a great clip. I want to watch that. Let me see where we are in our timer so I can put that down. I know this is stupid to say it like this, but I, don't, I want to make sure that I, I, I give uh, Stabler the right place to put it. So let's, let's run Dear Winston and look at that real quick. this piece um i actually um as we were getting ready as i told you my wife was coming back i was watching this um this and um uh the the ticking i was watching i'm holding my laptop seeing if my life's my wife's pulling in the driveway so that i can help her get groceries out before it. but what a powerful 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 piece thank you thank yeah. you I, and, and both of them especially you know what with, with the with dear winston with owens as, as everyone's seen with the you know the the masks and 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 just showing the eyes of people and, and it's it's just very powerful so great job on that yeah he did it he did a really good job he started doing that and then kind of brought the video piece to me he was like let's do you know we, we can make something out of this let's make this a little bit more than just a series of photographs and the, and two it does need to be said there's ran there's a more extensive uh, version of the photographs in the trad city b okay Try you can, one can see, yes, sir. You can see that online. You can see that in their print edition, but there are a, a lot, a lot more photos from that. All right, cool. So I've got that. All right, I'll do that. And then while we're here, let's go ahead and knock ticking out too. Cause I, I uh, so you did this with, um, uh, Josh West. Yes. Yeah. A, a musician named Joshua West, who is local here to Winston-Salem as well. And he's, he kind of brought the song to us when he saw last week um, during the initial demonstrations in North Carolina um, that were set off by the, the George Floyd incident, although now it's grown, thankfully, to so much more. Right. And uh, looking at so much more, I mean, it's not just George Floyd. It's all the people who have been abused and who are continuing even this week, you know, to be shot in the back by police officers. So, uh, and thankfully, Winston-Salem, though, we've been the outlier uh, in that we've had demonstrations. Our police have done the best they can to help and foster those demonstrations so that no one gets hurt and to protect them. And I've been out on the street with the young, and we have some amazing young people that are organizing these things, too. So we've been, you know, Winston is the only city in North Carolina where there was no curfew and where there was no violence, period. And we're still doing it. Today at 630, you know, we were down at the Benton again today. Right. Yeah. And down at the Benton, because there's a city council meeting going on inside the Benton so that they can properly social distance. But uh, they it's it's time to be heard about real police reform. Mm -hmm. And they're not talking about, quote unquote, defund the police. That's not really a great way to say it. That's right. not what anybody's talking about is abolishing police. They're talking about doing policing differently and taking money and spending it differently. And really, a better word may be demilitarize the police. That's that's what they're really talking about. And, and, and really. The, the thing, because, you know, it's, it, if you look at it, it's like the first thing that happens, uh, uh, you know, you'll see a video and, and it's a demonstration and somebody's turning around. It's like, call 911. It's like, well, if you defund the police, there's not going to be a 911 for you to call. What, what it but really that's not is, what anybody's really suggesting. Right, yeah. Defund the police is, 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 is one of, it's, it's, ba yeah, it's bad branding. Um, there, 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 there needs to be a better term for that, you know, and, the, and that will emerge. I love the, uh, the, you know, what they're doing is it's more of socializing the police in the sense yeah. of social, not as in socialism. Yeah. As in Meaning if you had a mental health call, right. okay, yeah. you call, you have a mental health worker would show up, not a police officer with a gun. Well, or, it means, or and that's the idea. Yeah. 
in different in mediation and in different ways to police and, and different postures. And, and again, the demilitarization of police will be a major, major factor. Because one thing in the violence in police that no, a lot of folks don't want to talk about is a lot of our shootings and, and murders that the police have done have been done by people who served in Iraq or Afghanistan and then came back and were given jobs in law enforcement. And I don't say that to besmirch veterans. I know a veteran, his name was Chad, just like mine, he's an African-American. And he was a combat veteran from Iraq. And I met him here in Winston working with the homeless because right. he had come here because he quit his job as a police officer in Charlotte. He had been a police officer before his tour. He went, he was in the guard. He went over and he served in Iraq in that combat. And he said he came back and he could he started working again police officer. But he realized that he was working as a police officer as if he were back in Iraq. As if he were in a war footing, not as if he were a police officer policing a community or a neighborhood. And he quit himself because he understood that he no longer, because of the service he had given in Iraq and Afghanistan, but the kind of service, he was no longer qualified to be a police officer. Yeah. Because his reactions were more violent. They were attuned to a war situation, again, not a civilian situation where you're dealing with calls. So there's a, you know, there's a lot that has to be addressed in policing in the beginning of that. And I, it's really the demilitarization of the police. No, they don't need military equipment. When you see the incident recently that happened in South Carolina where African-American films, uh, four, there's four sheriff's deputies sitting there. Why are the deputies wearing fatigues and military style body armor and boots? Right. Why are they not dressed like police officers? We have seen in Winston what happens during these demonstrations when police officers, you know, come at the public with a different posture. See, here in Winston, there's not been one piece of riot gear, not a single face shield. Nobody's pulled out a nightstick. Nobody's threatened anybody. The police are walking around in bike shorts, okay, and directing traffic. And in fact, there was one beautiful moment where this young woman in Winston, I've got this on film, she's making a really impassioned speech about police brutality and police violence. And at the same time, one of our officers is standing behind her on watch, making sure that no cars hit her or nobody can get close to her. Mm -hmm. So it is about the posture of law enforcement. When they come like they have in Winston in the last few weeks with humility, grace, and the willingness to listen, there's no violence, see. It's just, they, there right? is coming coming at a situation armed up like like you're you know you're in the middle of Baghdad is is probably going to escalate that situation. Absolutely. But that's when I say the socialization, what I'm meaning is is kind of like when when the, the, the police got the phone call that the kids were playing basketball out in the middle of the street while all of a sudden Shaq shows up. I mean, that's a whole different experience yeah. of a police officer that you're, you know, because he walks your beat and knows and knows the area and knows you and who you are, than the person that shows up with, uh, as you say, the military intent. Yep, and defunding the police and police training it, it, in North Carolina, it's easier for you or I to become a hairdresser than it would be for you and I. You know, we, we to become a police officer, and it would be for you and I to become a hairdresser. It takes less school. Hmm. <laughs> that that's a problem. That, yeah. that's that's a huge well especially i mean you know i had dudley on and 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 you had uh we talked about that i mean dudley was was we were all we're all just um so thankful that we have not gotten to a point of um there being an issue yeah so, and I we haven't that. had a real it's been decades since we've had a honestly our problem with our police is in the past our biggest in the past and they are things like i mean we got the winston-salem four case coming up which are four young men who were wrongfully convicted of murdering chris paul's grandfather right and and their innocence hearing is coming up in november um we had of course the daryl hunt the calvin michael smith cases you know and on and on here in winston we had we we obviously had a serious serious problem for years but uh, with uh, chief thompson and with sheriff kimbrough i think things have changed it's not just about race Mm -hmm. There's been an attitude change. There's been a posture change, mm -hmm. you know, and you can see it kind of on the streets. And I think that's for the better. Yep. Let's see. Uh, we haven't watched ticking yet. So let's watch that.
Tell, tell me where, you know, we, we've talked about this. Obviously, this has come from the speeches I told you about. Um, I've had some, this, this will have some speeches from the streets of Winston-Salem um, when it's done. This, this will be released on Juneteenth this Friday. Right. And it will be a, the, it's, it's a song that Joshua West has written. Right now, we're calling it Ticking. And um, it, the piece will be eight minutes and 46 seconds long, okay. which was the length of time that the police officer kept his knee on George Floyd's neck to murder him. But in that eight minutes and 46 seconds, we're going to kind of take a look all the way back from 1619 to 2020, mm -hmm. see how we got here, and then listen to these amazing young people. Because really the important thing we can do as white people, honestly, man, and the important thing is you and I can do as older guys, I'm almost 50. The real important thing we can do now is platform these people, platform these young people, yeah. is lift them up. Right. I've said all I mean, I, what I have to say about this isn't that important because the stakes are not the same for me. Mm -hmm. We need to lift other people up, platform these folks and be ready not to after the end of all this uh, unrest and then the pandemic, we got to be ready not to go back to normal because normal was not working. And feeling normal was not working for everybody. Right. We, we, we need a new normal and a better normal and a kinder normal. And I think we can do that. I, last week, watching these young people kind of take this over and do this really gave me a lot of hope, man. I, that's, that's the best I felt in 2020 was last week, watching our young people in Winston-Salem take to the streets and speak their mind. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 52. Uh, I mean, it, there's an uncomfortableness to it. You know, we've got to be uncomfortable. But, but change is good. Yeah, I mean, we as white people had to be uncomfortable. We had to be willing to be uncomfortable. We had to be willing to call BS on our friends, neighbors, and family mm -hmm. and point out to them their, their aggressions, microaggressions, and everything else. We had to be willing to do these things. We had to be, because we, we, we really do need to reorder our society. It is not working. We do live in a country where we have some of the greatest aspirations that humanity has ever had founded on blood and genocide. So until we deal with the founding sins, we can't move on to the big dream. That can't happen. It really can't. We've seen little glimpses of it, you know, throughout U.S. history. It can happen. Mm -hmm. And, I, I'm, and the, on my best days, I believe it will. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going I'm hoping it's going to be these young people because they really are extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super impressed. So... But you're not done yet, so nice try on No, that. I'm not that old yet. I'm not going to quit. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about, uh, because of, you know, you've lived in Stokes County, stuff like that. You got, you've got a documentary going on now. So tell me about The Sacrifice Zone. Yeah, while it was kind of after we finished Devil, I've been, we've been working on this for five years. And it's <laughs> with another team. And uh, we, it's about environmental racism in Southern Stokes County. And what a lot of people don't realize uh, that live in Winston-Salem and, and they'll get out and folks will get out and good on them, but they'll get out and demonstrate about global warming and, and they'll get out and demonstrate about the Dakota pipeline on the streets of Winston-Salem. Cause I'm, you know, and they'll get out and demonstrate about these things, but guess what? 11 miles, 11 nautical miles from downtown Winston-Salem is the Blues Creek steam plant, the coal plant on Blues Lake. It produces 22% of the entire greenhouse gases for the state of North Carolina per year. 22% of that comes from that one spot in Stokes County. You want to know where our smog comes from? We don't have enough traffic in Winston-Salem, honestly, to support smog. We shouldn't have some of the atmospheric problems we have here. That's where it's from. It's from that coal plant. 
And there are people who live close to that coal plant in communities in Pine Hall, uh, Walnut Cove, and in a particularly for our purposes in the film, a community called the Walnut Tree, mm -hmm. which is a uh, housing community, an African-American housing community in Stokes County. It was built in the 1970s as the plant was being built. Right. And um, those folks have dealt with, since the plant was there, they started initially, and we have this in our film, coal ash, which is the byproduct of burning coal to, to produce electricity, is really horrible stuff. There's arsenic is like the best of the chemicals in it. You've got things like hexavalent chromium and the same kind of chemicals, you know, that, you, that you've heard about in everything from the Campbell June case to the Aaron Brockovich case. Okay, right. same cancer-causing stuff. Well, that's now when Duke Energy U first started burying it, they were taking it out in unlined pits, just big holes in the ground, digging them with bulldozers and dumping it on the ground and above ground in Stokes County. Right. Beached down into the water table and folks in rural areas are on well water. So it not only did it leach down into the water table, it got into their well water. So they have cancer clusters. They, they have asthma from the coal ash has been, the ash has been pumping out of that place. It used to in Stokes County, when you were in that part of Stokes County in Walnut Cove, you would a lot of days, depending on how the wind blew, your car would be covered in coal ash. At which point it would eat the paint off of cars. And as a man in our film says, uh, Charles Mitchell, who is now the mayor of Walnut Cove, as he says, you know, that eats your paint off your cars. What do you think it was doing at our inside? Mm -hmm. And this again, 11 miles from downtown Winston-Salem. So what we try to do in this film is explain what it lives, is to live in a sacrifice zone. And sacrifice zones, we didn't come up with that term, but their terms are communities all over America that are sacrifice communities. And these are communities, and usually they're communities of color. They're always poor communities because the assumption by the corporations is that they won't be able to fight back. They won't be able to understand what's going on to them because of a lack of education. And they'll be thankful for whatever jobs the company brings to the area, which is exactly what happened in Stokes County. So our film is about what it's like for five, the last five years to live in that sacrifice zone as the threat of fracking, as your garden variety racism. Um, the town of Walnut Cove, trying to keep the town of the community of the Walnut Tree out of their town. Stuff, you know, it was an amazing story. And um, there was some coverage for the Winston Journal. Bert Gutierrez did some good work on it. Uh, Carrie at WFDD did good work on it. And uh, but we just have been dug in there, you know, like ticks for the last five years and have been able to merge with with a, a pretty heartbreaking film. And, and when does this come out? We do not know yet. We're going to be submitting to festivals and we're already talking to a couple of networks about buying the show. So we don't, we're not quite sure yet where it's going to be. We know it'll be out in the next couple of years. We just don't know where yet because, you know, we have, we have to figure that part out. Very interesting. Let's watch that clip because this is, I mean, you know, this, we're, we're seeing it down at Lake Norman now and stuff like that where there's communities that are are picking up well, on see, that was the, that was one of the ironic things was see this this wasn't just Lake Norman you also saw it in all in Salisbury the place called Dukeville right outside of Salisbury right. um, you see in several other plants around North Carolina the same conditions although blues is the biggest right. um, you you've seen these conditions around the state but the irony is that the when the state DEQ really started to pay attention was when some white kids from Lake Norman and a rich white kid started getting sick. And that took to get people's attention. But meanwhile, people of color and poor white people have been dying for a while now. And nobody's paid right. attention. You know, once it hit Lake Norman, they were all over it, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Blues Lake. You don't please don't get in that water. No, never. That Blues Lake. I, I we've talked to people who got cancer from swimming in Blues Lake. In I've been in it once. It's scary stuff, man. That, that, back uh, since over in Blues Creek, I was uh, uh, in high school. Yeah. One time. A lot of folks around here don't know it's the artificial lake. It was created when they built the plant. It used to be an African-American community, uh, farming community called Little Egypt. And um, they bought the land through different shell companies mm -hmm. secretly. They bought the pieces of land until they were able to put it all together. And then they basically just, you know, dug big holes and then flooded the valley. Yeah, I was, I fell in uh, back in like 85 or 86 one time. Um, one dip or two, probably okay. I think, I think it's the problem. There were fish with legions on it until just a few years ago. I mean, you couldn't eat the fish. You still shouldn't eat the fish out of the lake. Yeah. 
All right, so let's see. We're gonna we'll we'll, we'll uh, let's watch this clip here, and this is uh, life in the sacrifice zone. Okay. And I know the story about Blues Creek and seventy-five homes. Mm -hmm. You got a coal ash plant. Yes. Coal ash pond. Yes. And a landfill. Why? Mm -hmm. Community sixty-one percent color. Yes. Thirty-nine percent white. Yes. Wow. So this is hurting everybody. Yeah, everybody. This was for low-income housing. And you applied through FHA. FHA went through, the firm of home administration went through, and they had town and country out of King that built these houses through here and a set of houses in King all at the same time. My personal family, the Hurston side, originated from a plantation in Coolimee, North Carolina. My grandfather was probably four years old when his family was freed from slavery. I'm not sure about his age, but he was born into slavery. My grandmother, this is on my father's side, she was a Welch Indian from the Sarrytown Mountains. After my grandfather was freed, he moved here to Stokes County to Wanna Cove. I, that's where he met my grandmother and they got married. And they raised eight kids that produced 28 grandkids. My father died when I was 10. My mom was a single parent and she purchased that home in the Wanna Tree. Till this day, I can see the joy on her eye because it was unheard of of a single black mother in Stokes County, Wanna Cove, anywhere, purchasing a home. Uh, the big majority of them were very proud to be able to get a house. Because, like I said, these houses was for low-income people, and most time the, the people that first moved in, they didn't really, you know, they they didn't have the finances to really to get a decent house. She bought that home, and when she turned the key on it, and we saw carpet, fresh paint, bathrooms on the inside, because we were raised, we had outhouses, we had a spigot was outside. When we were growing up, we would have to go outside to get water. The smile on her face to know she was a homeowner. And she had got a better place for her son and daughter by herself with no help and working hard was the inspiration of my life. It's something I'll never forget. And it was getting a little... Very powerful. I'm, 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 I'm really wanting to know when it's coming out. That's, and I know you don't know yet. It's going to be, if nothing else, it will be a river run or a like-minded festival next year. Um, <laughs> we're just, we're now talking to some networks, so it may run on television first. We didn't, we're just not sure. Email to me. Yeah. <laughs> just drop it to me in Google. I'll, 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 I'll drop you, yeah, I'll drop you a full length. We, we, yeah, we have some, Drop it to me in Google and, I, and I'll review it for you. Yeah, that's there it. There you go. Okay, right on, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so now let's talk about, we, we've talked about all the powerful stuff. Let's just talk about Chad and what what do, what do you want to be? What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Let me see. Yeah. No, I don't know. I just want to be remembered that I tried. You know, I, to be honest with you, it's not like as a as a filmmaker and, or a journalist, I've been both. I don't have like a set goal because part of my life has been it's a goal for a year because I want to get I wanted to get sacrifice zone done. And now I have two other projects that I'm working on that I want to get those done, you know. And I just want to be remembered for a guy who worked. I mean, I just, you know, I, to me, it's work. It's, it's no different than being a plumber or electrician or anybody else that punches a clock. I just, I want to be, you know, I want to be remembered for, for being honest, for telling people the truth and for, and for doing the work. And the hope is that the work, whether it's sacrifice zone or even in its own way, addressing addiction as, you know, as kind of tabloid styles, it can be as devil. And, and even in our journalism, we've always wanted to hope and our hope is that it makes, you know, makes things better or at least can get people talking about real solutions for some of these problems. I just want to be remembered for being someone who cares, you know, and I think I've learned so much about you in the, uh, of your caring and, you know, it, the, the, the dialogue about racism and, 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 you know, it, it's, it's hard as you were saying as a white male, I mean, we have to understand where people of color are coming from and, and, you know, you have to be uncomfortable in the situation and, 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 and work towards that common goal of that when something happens, it's because 
it happened because it happened. It wasn't because it was race. It wasn't because it was color. It wasn't because it was this or that. I mean, you know, de as you were talking about demilitarizing and, and things like that, I mean, there's going to be crime. There's going to be uh, bad things happen, but, but I just hope that there's one day it's because the person was, was not a race, color, national, origin, age, familiar status, sex, gender, whatever. Yeah, I think we'll get there. I mean, and, and part of that, what, I, what, what we're trying to do with our work even, though, is just create a world where, where you know, the, the mental opportunity isn't there for that. You right. know, where the space isn't there for that. And we can get there, and it's going to take generations because, you know, racism is taught. No, nobody's born a racist. That's not a thing. Right. Uh, racism is even real. Race isn't real. That, right. that, that's a construct. That, that it really is. We're all human beings. And that's not philosophical. That's science, man. There's, <laughs> you know, and it's just, and, and some of that, you know, gets ridiculous. But I mean, the best we can do, you know, is, 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 is try to teach young people and, and somehow be an example, you know. But I, and I would say the best thing we can do is, 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 is old white folks is listen. Yep. You know, I've learned as a journalist, and that's that. That is the most important thing. And as a journalist, sometimes it is important to tell the story, and and to interject and to, to get in there and do it. But sometimes it's just important to ask the question, and then just listen. Yep. And if we would spend some, I mean, there's there's a time we don't need to. It's like when your wife sometimes comes to you with a problem, right? And she's telling you something, and then she doesn't want you to solve it. You know, and then you jump up. I do this. Oh, I jump up. I got this. I got a plan. I didn't want you to solve it. I just wanted to tell you about it. Right. Okay. I just wanted you to know how I feel. Well, there is an element of that that we have to be like we want to be thoughtful and, and loving to our spouse and listen to them and not always try to jump in and help or say, we all take charge. I'll fix that. And, you know, do that. Sometimes people just want to be listened to and they just want to uh, have someone understand them. And I think that's part of where we are in this conversation. And these are folks that just want to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's time to listen to them and not try to not try to solve their problem. In fact, listen to them and let them tell them how they think this problem should be solved. How do they want to solve this problem? Because they're the ones that are dying. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not you or I. It's, it's, it's so interesting. You said that because in my mind, um, I've always thought of one thing. Um, we all have the same goals in life. We don't want to piss our spouse off and we want to feed our kids. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Everybody that gets up, that's, that's what we do every day, you know, and then you go down the path of, and I, I'm, I'm a man and I'm a Pisces and you know, we're fixers. And so as soon as you did, I'm, I'm in trouble for that all the time. I'm in trouble for that. Yeah. I think I, I, I would kind of boil it down to um, something that is actually in an old movie. Everything for me comes from old movies, yeah. but there's, a, there's an old movie I love with Randolph Scott called Ride the High Country okay. by Sam Peckinpah. And there's something Randolph Scott says in that movie is him and Joel McCray though, that when you say, how would you like to be remembered? Mm -hmm. And what, Joe, what, what Randolph Scott says is when I enter my house, I want to do so justified. Mm-hmm. And that basically, to me, that means I've treated other people decently. Right. I've done the right thing when, when any kind of, when the situation presents itself. And if I've done the wrong thing, I've made a mea culpa and I've apologized, you mm -hmm. know. I want to enter my house justified so that, you know, that, that folks are happy with me and I'm happy with them. That's nice. Where do you want to see our town go? Austin, Texas. I don't want to go there because it's in Texas. No, where do you want to see our <laughs> now? No, absolutely. No, I'm I'm serious. I'm being serious. My friend Hal Boyle and I from uh, Hal owns the trash. I don't want the bats. Yeah, I don't want the bats, but I do want um, what we were talking about is Austin and Arbor. Michigan right. is another great example of a small city that's been able to recover from an industrialized past right. and move on. Uh, Ann Arbor and Austin are very good examples. Austin with its arts and Ann Arbor with their education. I mean, because you look at this town, man, we're a college town on roids. We right. got WSSU, Salem College, Winston's North University of North Carolina School of the Arts. We have one of the top art schools in America next to Juilliard. Right. Okay. We have Winston-Salem State, a, a legendary HBCU. Right. We have one of the oldest girls' colleges in America, although right. it's not just that anymore, but that's great. And we have Wake Forest University, a top flight university. So we are the college, and not that many mentioned because that's part of Wake Forest, Bowman Green Medical School. And so no, we are. We're just Piedmont a college town of roids. Piedmont University. Piedmont, I forgot. That's right. Piedmont Bionic College. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We did so a virtual we're village. We're very lucky. Very and it's so crazy. Their parking lot. Do well, a virtual village event. Yeah. Hey, 25 minutes away, we got the same thing in Greensboro. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I went. I started my college career at UNCG. Okay. <laughs> Back in 89. Okay. But yeah, absolutely. So we have all these resources here. And wonderful things are happening in town. You know, our problem is that we're not bringing everybody. So, right. Yeah. Parts of the town are being lifted up. Part, you know, big swaths of the town are recovering. And we can live in this little bubble. I live where I live. I can ride down Renolda Road. Right. And go back down, go to downtown. And right. think that everything is wonderful, man. It's beautiful, stately homes on Renolda Road. There's the Airstream bumping over there. That's always fun. There's the farm over there. The farm the Children's Center. Yeah. That's not all Winston-Salem, see. No. And there's a lot of people in Winston-Salem that are hurting. You know, while, while, while many of us are doing well, and many of us are enjoying the low cost of living that's here and the low crime rate that's here. Right. Because outside of certain areas here, there is the safest city in North Carolina. Right. You're, you're not going to get hurt. Right. But on the other hand, then we have soul-crushing poverty, real street violence, and a lot of this stuff is systemic, and it comes from our legacy of segregation, right. and it comes from our legacy of the industries and how they were built here in Winston-Salem. Mm -hmm. And it's been a struggle, and there's good and bad. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not also saying that R.J. Reynolds and and P.H. Haynes and all these guys were awful villains who just took it. It was it's not that simple. But Winston has, is a complicated place, and we have not been able to solve those complications. We're we're working slowly towards them, but we still have a long way to go, especially when it comes to eco economic equities. Because I don't know if you know, it was a a, a study done at uh, Harvard University. Raj Chetty did. I mean, there's like zero upward mobility here. Winston-Salem. Yeah, we had uh, Craig Richardson on and talked about it. Craig actually was my professor at Winston-Salem State when I got my MBA. And, okay. um, uh, you know, the, that <laughs> worst county in the United States is not something that we need to even, that needs to be erased immediately. Yes, there's, you know, there, and there are ways to get it. And a lot of that has to do with education. Yeah. And we have great people that work for our school system from administration down. And we have good people on the school board too. They're just part of it is these inequities created by segregation. Yeah. When you can go to Whitaker Elementary, where full disclosure, all of my children went to Whitaker. We right. took full advantage of that. We understand. Okay. Right. With the PTA Whitaker has 90 some thousand dollars a year available to them. You go two and a half miles. You could walk it without even getting, breaking a sweat to cook one of the failing schools in North Carolina where the federal government's threatened to take it away from the school system. Right. And it's about inequities. That's two and a half miles away. That's walking distance away, but it's a school zone away. And what were those school zones made? They were made along racial lines. Right. You know, so these are the inequities that still exist. I mean, uh, one of our local politicians, I kept telling him about cook and he didn't listen. He went there and it was like, this is like apartheid. I said, exactly. Right. So, you know, so-called school choice ended up resegregating Winston-Salem schools to where brown and black children are in certain schools and white children in others. And we know because Wake County, North Carolina, is a great example of an integrated school system. In fact, Wake County, North Carolina is one of only two school systems in the entirety of the United States that ever was in complete compliance with Brown versus Board of Education. And they, you know, that's been under assault for decades. Their school board has to try to put an end to that since they integrated. But they also have one of the best school systems in the state of North Carolina because integration does, they, it breeds education. Children are able to learn. And all of this, every issue, even the policing issue, goes back to education. Everything goes back to our teachers and education. And we pay our, we talk about wanting to put more money into policing. If that, what about more money into teachers? You know, if we put the money into education that we should allot to education, um, you know, you would start to see trends in these other places. You're talking about flattening a curve. You want to flatten the curve on property crimes in your town? Up the education. You know, because even if you're not able to attract the big, as as we say here, and I would love to get them at the big buffalo when you're out hunting economic development. Um, that's what Mayor Joins calls them. And he's, he's right. They're, they, you, you want that big buffalo, that Dell or that Herbalife or one of these big companies to come in, that Amazon. But the truth is, if you provide these folks with a good education, not only are you going to draw those companies here because you're going to have a workforce that's highly educated, highly motivated, highly able to do things, you're also going to give those children the ability to go elsewhere if they have have to and make a good living you know 
So there's, there, it all, I really feel, begins with education. Now, in Winston-Salem, just for clarification, because it's only fair, and I'm a journalist and I got to be a little bit fair, is that the Winston-Salem Police Department and the school system are not at all paid for at the same fund of money. The Winston-Salem City does not pay for the schools. That's all county money right. and state money and federal money that comes funneled through the county commission goes to there. So it really isn't a matter of Winston-Salem when we're playing a police officer in lieu of playing a teacher. So that's, right. that's not what I'm saying. It's right. about resources and how we choose to, you know, how we choose to, to focus on things. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed getting to know you. Thanks. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your book that you wrote uh, coming back to Winston? That, that is yeah, I wrote a book called the shape I'm in the Campbell City dispatches. And uh -huh. I wrote another book called hillbilly highway, this odyssey of an ugly American at the dawn of the 21st of the 21st century, which was really about my experiences during the Bush W years okay. um, with the anti-war movement. And with, I was working for a national magazine called skunk at the time. And I was I there. For yeah, and I was well. They they still exist. I'm just not their political anymore. <laughs> so I uh, um, I don't know if you knew this. My my past is um, I ran KNS newsstands. That's a, wait. Okay, wait. KS newsstand. Yeah. Over by School of the Arts. So you didn't there used Park to be Sherwood Clemens Kernersville. Yes. Yeah. I, we used to go in all the time in there because you could get Variety and Hollywood Reporter right. and yeah. all that stuff. So I ran KNS News from 1992 through 2001. Oh, we've seen one another because yeah. I used to, yeah. used to frequent that place all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I actually just lost. Uh, do you remember Beverly that was my manager there with the long hair? Yes. Beverly passed away. She lost her battle with cancer. Her brother is Mark that owns Bibbs. And so. Oh, wow. uh, okay. So Beverly just passed away this last week and. Uh, yeah, no, so Parkway, Sherwood, Clemens, Kernersville, Pavilions, Haynes Mall, Thruway Shopping Center, uh, the Mark Hotel, and then I had a store in Nags Head and also had a store in Elizabeth City. I, I used to live in Nags Head. I probably also... Nags Head News. Yeah. Oh, really? That was you? Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. I've also, I also frequented that place. I lived in Nags Head for a while. Yep. Right near Mrs. T's Deli. So yeah, absolutely. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, uh, stick around. Let's let's we'll, we'll, I'm going to say bye to everybody. Then I want to ask you a couple more questions about uh, and tell you what we had promised we'd tell uh, tell you. Yeah. So um, this has been another episode of Camel City Chat with uh, uh, Chad Nance. And uh, you can find out more about him in the in the liner notes here and how to get in touch with uh, him through his books or, uh, um, uh, you know, some of the documentaries and things he's doing. And so I just want to say thanks. Of course, like, subscribe and all that kind of stuff. And we'll be back next week with more Camel City Chat.